together in the resurrection of Jesus and, and what was just sung about. And we come really to the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus' last conversation with his disciples. They're trying to figure out, how did this guy get out of the tomb? And so he eats some fish just to let him know he's like really there. He's really alive and you can touch him and feel him. And then we pick up in the 44th verse where he has a heart to heart with his guys and the ladies there that day and shares these final words. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you, that everything must be fulfilled that is written about me and the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And y'all, that's a fancy way of saying the Old Testament. Okay? Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, help us sense the heart of the Father, the passion of the Father, and the call of the Father upon these final words of Jesus before he left us for this world.
God in the Old Testament. A boring chapter with great implications. Because at the end of chapter 10, this is what it writes, These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. And from these the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. Brothers and sisters, the question we're supposed to be asking at this point is this question. God, these nations and peoples, how are you going to save them from themselves? That's what we're supposed to be asking. God, how are you going to save these people? And just in case we didn't get it, we go to chapter 11 where God gives us the Tower of Babel. There in the Tower of Babel, you know, in all human glory, we erect you know, a, a big ziggurat for, for ourselves and say, let's bring all the world together and let's, let's be one people and let's see what we can do when we take our throne. And God said, oh no, I'm not going through this again. I, get, I let them do whatever they wanted the first time. And so instead, we're going to give them each different languages. We're going to give them different skin tones. We're going to send them all over this planet to different areas. And they're going to have to figure things out from the ground up. And I'm going to make it a little hard for them so that I can find a way to save them. And so we get to chapter 11. And once again, the question comes, Lord, how are you going to save this human rabble, this human mess? And the answer begins in the 12th chapter of Genesis when God finds a fella who he kind of likes and thinks he can, might, can make something out of this guy and that guy's name is Abram and so God says to Abram in the early chapters uh, the early of chapter 12 Abram I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing I'll bless those who bless you Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And brothers and sisters, here we're supposed to catch the bottom line. You see, a lot of times we think God's blessings are all about us. God blessed Abraham to be a great nation. He blessed Abraham to be a special people. He blessed Abraham because Abraham was better than everybody else. That's not true. God blessed Abraham for one reason and one reason only. To be a blessing to the world. That's Abraham's call. To be a blessing to the world. So Abraham tries. He doesn't always do very good. He knows to be a blessing he needs a family and he doesn't have a family because he's 90 years old and his wife's 90 years old. They have no kids. But God says a child's coming and he doesn't quite believe him so he has Ishmael instead. And of course that's again on the wrong track but eventually has Isaac. But then God calls Isaac uh, that Abraham's got to take him and sacrifice the child of promise, the one and only son, to save the people. And Abraham has a choice. Do I trust in God or do I take back my son because I've got to save him? Abraham does something incredible and offers his own son Isaac for God's sake. And God saves him. But it is to be a forerunning picture of Jesus. 
Then from Isaac, we go to Jacob, and from Jacob's children, we go to the nation of Israel, and they go down into Egypt, and they grow there, and they turn from a family into a people. And in that people, as it raises up, there comes a fellow named Moses, and God calls Moses to save the people, to bring them out of slavery, and to set them free. Something all human beings long for is to be a free people. And so God does that. He brings them to the mountain, and on the mountain, he's going to give them what? The ten commandments but there's something that happens before we get to the commandments in the 19th chapter of exodus in 19th chapter of exodus god gives a mission to the nation of israel hmm what would he say he says this to moses on the mountain you yourselves have seen what i did in egypt how i carried you out on eagle's wings and brought you to myself now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you'll be my treasured possession. Now I could see Moses and Israel stop right there. Ooh, that sounds pretty good. The God who created the universe, we get to be his special treasure. We get to be his special people. It's all about us. It's all about God's blessing. No. In the next word, God gives them a different purpose than it being all about us. He says to them, you'll be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. He reminds them that he loves the world too. And you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. They are to be a kingdom of priests. Have you ever thought about what that means? Not that some of them would be priests, but the whole people would be priests. They'd be a holy nation. They'd, they'd live differently. They'd do life differently. They'd do government differently. They'd do the world differently. They'd look different. They'd be a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? Priests bring the people, right, and connect the people with, the, with God. That's the role of a priest. A, a priest connects the everyday folk with the creator of the universe. And so what God is saying here is, as a nation, you're going to be a kingdom of priests, and your job is going to be to connect the world who don't know and don't have a clue who I am with me. And you will be a witness among the world and all the peoples of the world that I love and I'm real and I made you for myself. That was their call. How did they do? pretty bad <laughs> not very good at all they love themselves more than they love god by the you know throughout the old testament you read over and over again you're stiff-necked you're rebellious you're nothing but trouble you know i can't make heads or tails of you guys i send you my prophets and you kill my prophets or you throw them in jail or you put them in a pit you don't listen to them hardly at all you've got your own ideas of what you think's right by the end of the old testament god has to get rid of their kings and send them off to Babylon and humble them in order to shape them into be a people that he can use for his glory. And it's only after 70 years that they can come home and rebuild and start over again. But they're never quite the same until Jesus comes. And so in the New Testament, Jesus comes, he dies, he teaches, he heals, he does all the miracles, he dies on the cross. 
and he comes and in his resurrection presence is with his closest buddies his closest followers his last words and this is what he says right the messiah will suffer and rise from the dead it's in the old testament read it i'll rise from the dead on the third day just like jonah in the belly of the whale and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at jerusalem you guys are witnesses to these things and so i'm going to send you what my father has promised so stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on on high later on the prophets come along and they realize that god's people they just they blow it and they blow it and they blow it and they blow it right over and over and over again and so the prophets begin to say you know what we need something more we need the holy spirit we need God to pour out his spirit on everybody, not just a few folks, not just leaders, not just kings, not just prophets. We need the spirit for everybody. And they wait for it. And finally, John the Baptist comes along and says, I'm going to baptize you guys with water, so get ready. Because mine's just water. But there's this guy coming, his name is Jesus. He'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. He will anoint you with power to take the good news of Jesus' resurrection, beginning in Jerusalem, being a witness for Christ to all nations. It's that to all nations that I, I hope you're getting at this point. It's, it's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. So how has the church of Jesus done? Well, it's kind of hit and miss. The early apostles after this, uh, you know, they are filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and so as they're, they're filled with God's presence and power, they go out and preach in Jerusalem. And immediately the first day, they are gifted with a mega church. They're gifted with a church of over 2,000 on day one. And the apostles say, oh, this is great. We've got a mega church to keep up with in Jerusalem. We've got other little churches to keep up with in Galilee, where we're from, and everywhere else. This will keep us busy for a lifetime. We are good. And God says, but I told you, you'll start in Jerusalem, but you'll go to the nations. And so the, God begins to move, and in that movement, the other Jews rise up and begin to persecute the church for following Jesus. And in that persecution, the apostles, Jesus' closest buddies, you know what they do? They stay in Jerusalem. They've got a steady gig. They've got a good job. It's the no-name folks. It's the folks we have no idea who they were. They couldn't stay in Jerusalem. They had to get out of town or else they'd be in jail or worse. And so they scatter and they go to Turkey. They go to Antioch and they go to Cyprus and they go to these places. And guess who they preach to? the Jewish folk, because the Jewish folk are the ones that God loves. And so they tell these Jewish folks about Jesus. But then all of a sudden, God kind of taps Peter on the shoulder one day and says, uh, Peter, I got this guy I want you to go see. He's not Jewish. He doesn't eat kosher. He likes barbecue. He hadn't been circumcised. And he's a commander in the Roman army. You're going to love it. Peter says, what are you, crazy God? Peter goes. 
He shares Jesus with Cornelius. And this Holy Spirit falls and fills the home. And these crazy, pagan, non-Jewish folks are filled with the presence of the living God. No way! The Jewish people are stunned. It's like they hadn't read the book. But God gets Cornelius' attention. And then God calls a fellow by the name of Saul, whose name becomes Paul, and Paul begins to realize God's up to something new. And so when he goes to new places, yeah, he shares Jesus with the Jews, but then once he's done with the Jews, he turns his attention to those who aren't Jewish, and pretty soon the church of Jesus is thriving in the Roman world, thriving in a place where early Christians are thrown to the lions and taken to the Colosseum and put in jail, and not everything goes well. But brothers and sisters, in that first 300 years, we find this. We find the most incredible human revolution that I know of that took place really without hardly a sword or a war or a battle. But the church of Jesus Christ, the living God, the resurrected Messiah, the church of Jesus conquers the Roman Empire in 300 years conquers an empire without bloodshed. Except maybe Constantine did have a couple of battles. I'll give him that. But, but, but the church wasn't a part of much of that. And then in 300 AD, the church says, all right, we've made it. We've, we've done what we're supposed to do. We've, we've spread Jesus all over the Roman Empire. We are done. And so they focus on themselves for 100 years. But God wasn't done. You see, the Lord had a heart for uh, some barbarians out there, some Germanic barbarians, some Saracens, uh, some Huns, some other Vandals and Goths and Visigoths. History, we talk about all those things, right? And when the church fails to take Jesus to the nations, guess what God allows? He allows the nations to come and take over the empire. The Roman Empire loses half, loses Rome, it loses half the empire. God gives up half the empire for the barbarians. They aren't worthy of Jesus, they're not worthy of the kingdom. Are they? Till they give their faith to Jesus Christ. These barbarians become part of the Christian family. And Jesus conquers not just the Roman Empire, but conquers Europe. And once again, by 800 AD, the church is thinking, well, we've done our job. We've taken over Europe. We're good now. We can rest. And so... We quit taking the gospel places. But God says, no, no, um, there are these folks. They're, they're kind of mean and they're violent and they like to pillage and steal stuff and, and take captives. They're called the Vikings. And you're not going to like them a whole lot, but if you're not going to go to them, church, I guess I'm going to have to bring them to you. And so God does. And it's a very bloody time. It's a horrendous time by this time the monasteries in ancient europe are wealthy they've done quite well through the ages 
And so the Vikings are eager to plunder. They're eager to take slaves. They're eager to pillage. They're eager to do all that stuff. But the Lord allows it because the Vikings come to faith in Jesus through this process. They're affected with the gospel of Christ of those they conquer. Well, and then in about 1200 A.D., we say, okay, church, we're... We're done once again except for Jerusalem. Jerusalem's been taken over by these uh, crazy people down there, these Muslim people, these Islamic people, and, and that's God's holy city. And so the leading Christian of the church in the West steps up and says, you know what? Guys, pull out your swords, put on your armor, get on your horses, let's head to Jerusalem and tell them who's boss. And brothers and sisters, we took the wrong equipment and gave the wrong message and we continue to suffer a thousand years later because we forgot. The leading Christian of the church forgot the call of Jesus to the church and instead sent us to battle. And we've been paying for it ever since. We haven't always gotten it right, brothers and sisters. But the church has continued to grow and thrive. Finally, Protestant churches in about 16, 1700 get on board. We start sending missionaries out, whether they're Methodist or Baptist or wherever. We start going to places like China and India and Africa. That was 150 years ago. If you go to those places today, you'll find the church of Jesus growing and thriving there, more in Africa, more in China than here in the United States. It's a miracle. There soon may be more followers of Jesus in China than there are in any nation on planet Earth. It's amazing. The Methodist movement is now as large in Africa as it is here in the United States. Some of the most passionate followers of Jesus who are brothers and sisters of Methodist people, they're in Africa today sharing Jesus in his glory I could go on we could talk about Latin America transformation we could talk about the transformation of the planet and here we come to the year 2000 in the year 2000 once again we're starting to get the internet and cell phones and TV and all this stuff and we think okay church we're done we're finished we've done what Jesus wants us to do right and 60% of our world yes and that's good news the Christian movement is the largest movement on the planet spiritually it still is we're larger than all the others 60% of the world knows somewhat about Jesus not all those follow Jesus but 60% of our world know about Jesus the trouble is brothers and sisters today 30 to 40% of our planet still knows nothing of the Savior. And I think the Holy Spirit says again, Church, are you going to do nothing? Or are you going to do what I told you to do in my last moments? You see, there's this band across the earth. It's, missionaries have called it the 1040 window. It's 10 degrees latitude and 40 degrees latitude. It cuts a swath across North Africa, 
across the Middle East, across India, across China, across Japan, and Southeast Asia. That swath is the most unreached part of our globe, filled with 2 billion to 3 billion people are in that area. Some of the poorest of the poor, some of the weakest of the weak, some of the most struggling economies and communities on the planet are in those areas. And by and large, the church of Jesus, we've forgotten about them. And when we forget about them, like in the past, God allows them to come to us. Y'all know 9-11? I think 9-11 was to be a witness for us of the people we have forgotten. Three billion people woke up this morning and they can't go to church. Three billion people woke up this morning and they can't find a Christian to talk to about what they believe and how it makes a difference in their life. Two to three billion people got up this morning and they can't find a Bible in their own language to read. And brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus comes to us and says, it's our job to begin in Jerusalem, but to take his name to the nations, to all nations. Because God has a vision, and the vision is in Revelation, and it's a vision of the people gathered around the throne, and around that throne are people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people. That includes Muslims, that includes Hindus, that includes Buddhists. If God loves us, non-Jewish pagan folks, I can tell you God loves them too. And he calls us to love them in Christ's name. So what can we do? I close with this. How, how does that make a difference? A couple of things. Right now it's known that giving tithing at church is about, on average, 2% of our incomes. Right? So for every $10,000 we give to the to the church of Jesus about 200. It's supposed to be 2,000, but we give 200. Of that $200, you know how much resources go to these folks who have no relationship with Jesus. Of $10,000, we give two. Two dollars, mama dollar, papa dollar, that's it. Among missionaries, we send missionaries all over the world, but most missionaries go to Africa and go to Latin America and go to the places that have needs, yes. It's not to ignore those other places, but in the last 30 years, missions has been targeting the 1040 window and saying we have to make sure we send people here to love these folks for God's glory in Jesus' name. And so we're having to, to rearrange resources to target God's heart for our world. And so I close today by saying, what might you do to be a part of what God has been doing in this world for thousands of years, and he has continued to be about it, and he will continue to be about it until the work is done. And it's much better if we're a part of it, because if we're not a part of it, it's not as fun because usually it means they're coming at us 
with all sorts of things I don't like. So today, what can you do? You can pray. You can go. You can give. You can send. And you can help empower others to do those things too. You can pray. You can go. You can give. You can send. And empower others to do those too. Because God will not be satisfied. His heartbeat is for every human being on our planet. And he invites us into that journey. And we can make a difference. My hope and my prayer is is we do some great ministry in the world today. And this has been a missionary church from way before I came along. You've, You've had missions to local Latinos. You've had missions to Honduras. You've had mission to Haiti. You've had mission to other places. My hope is over the next year that we will begin to find and target a frontline mission somewhere in that 1040 window where we can say, this people over here, these are our people. We're praying for these people. We're going to love these people. We're going to invest in these people. We're going to invest in the missionaries that are taking Jesus to these people. And brothers and sisters, we're talking here about taking Jesus. We're talking about not taking democracy. We're not taking Western culture. We're not taking capitalism. We're not taking all that other stuff. We're taking Jesus. We're taking the good news. And we want to see what Jesus does with his people in faraway places. And so in the name of God's glory, I want to encourage you to pray about this week and think about how are you obeying the Lord and having a heart for people who woke up today and can't go to church and can't read a Bible and can't talk to another Christian. There's a way to make a difference. If you say, Chris, how do you do it? Come talk to me and we'll work it out. But let's do what Jesus said to do 2,000 years ago and let's finish God's heart and see a church among every people, believers among every people, and God's word to every people. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, help us do it. Amen. All right. Father, uh, I know this has been a long one, but we lift it up to you. I pray that you'll just help us wrestle with what you really care about and what you really love. You call us to love you with heart, soul, mind, and strength. You call us to love our neighbor as ourself. And it's sometimes hard to realize that our neighbor can be on the other side of the planet and that we are also called to love them too. But Lord, help awaken your church in new ways to your call to have a heart for the end of the earth. Awaken us to new ways that when we find folks moving in next to us, Lord, I know I've got down the street a a nice Islamic family who's moved into our neighborhood. Lord, help us to love them and bless them and show them the heart and love and face of Jesus as we welcome them as our neighbors and help them begin to wrestle with who you are and how you might transform all our hearts and lives for your glory. Because, Lord, you've already brought them in our midst. There are next-door neighbors. There are classmates. There are folks we run into down the street. How can we build a relationship with them like you would, Jesus, so that your kingdom might come through us and your purpose might be lived out in us in this 21st century? For your glory, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.